This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Let's come here to Hakimi. Hakimi finds Torgan Azar. Azar's moment. Azar's goal. His first for Dortmund is the breakthrough today. The quick free kick though has got to Azar on the ball here for Guerrero. Went across goal, which was the right decision. And two goals in the blink of an eye has turned this game in a big way towards Borussia Dortmund. Hello and welcome to episode 300 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-1 win in the DFB-Pokal against Borussia Mönchengladbach, the league leaders. Then... A very resounding 3-0 win over VfL Wolfsburg, which we very much appreciate for our 300th episode. But that's not all. There's more goodies for this episode. Bayern Munich were shellacked in Frankfurt 5-1. And there are some resulting consequences that we have to discuss. And of course, since this is now a Monday, tomorrow's game against Inter Milan in the Champions League, a crucial tie. I am looking forward to it. And to discuss all that and more, joins me the one and only Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing well on this 300th episode day. How are you? I'm doing very well myself. Now, little disclaimer, it's basically episode 300.1 or so. Because what happened is that uh, I did not immediately save my uh, recording track. On Audacity, the last time we recorded episode 300 with uh, Lars and Konstantin, and you, of course. And so um, what happened is that everything <laughs> on episode 300 uh, was deleted as my MacBook crashed. A rookie mistake, um, which I regret, of course. But um, yeah, I I can only apologize and, and now move on We because it's only us two because I'm a little bit pressed for time today and uh, because editing just uh, another track is uh, easier than uh, having to edit three other tracks. So Matthias, um, it's just you and me today, but I hope we can make up for that uh, in in uh, yeah positivity because it's been a very excellent week, I must say, for Dortmund. And with that, I guess we can start with the uh, 2-1 win in the cup. Um, I think Dortmund did very well um, to react to the Rivier Derby. We saw, for example, Jakub Brunassen up front. This is something um, I liked the decision because Lucien Favre talked about the lack of vertical runs after the Rivier Derby. And um, I think... A couple of elements also to tie out the opposition like that we finally saw from Rune Larsen. Obviously, he did not score a goal or had big chances, but nevertheless, I thought it was positive. And then, of course, we saw Julian Brandt on the number 10, which I think is uh, his best or one of his best positions. Uh, maybe he can play like a 10-8 hybrid. But um, I, th I thought um, that... Dortmund drew the right consequences from their scoreless derby and uh, plucked it into that midweek cup match. And it, it, it worked out well, I must say. So I, I was actually quite positive overall with the game. Um, what were your thoughts? 
Well, overall, very, very positive. Um, yeah, Dortmund, you know, the first half was a little little tough at times, which uh, I'm not overly surprised about because we can't forget the quality of the opposition, but we'll mentioned Gladbach at that point. And still today, uh, top of the Bundesliga, very well coached and played very, very well. Um, but what I enjoyed in the first half was the significantly higher levels of energy, pressing, positivity, vertical runs, as you talked about. So it was a completely different Dortmund than we had seen in the previous few matches where they were very passive at times. The good thing is, in the second half, it kind of turned around after uh, Gladbach got the lead. And, and it's almost like then, then Dortmund really woke up uh, and played even more positively because there was a little lull after uh, halftime, which uh, was also repeated against Wolfsburg, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But then the Brandt show happened, and it was really important that not only the Dortmund played positively, but that they continued to play positively even once they got the 2-1 lead, because they were like, well, you know, a one-goal lead isn't enough. We want to make sure this match is done in 90 minutes. Nobody needs extra time, a penalty shootout, given that they still have, that they're playing every two, three uh, days at, at this point. So, uh, overall, very, very good to see. A lot of positive signs. I think uh, the lessons were learned uh, the previous weeks. And to me, especially now, because we obviously did not have the um, Wolfsburg match to think about when we recorded this originally last week, but now taking both those matches uh, into account, it's almost like maybe Favre, I don't know, was conserving Dortmund's energy to a point, and now it's like, all right, let's go, because last season, obviously Dortmund ran out of gas in the tank. After a while, plus then injuries happened, there was lack of depth. The depth is much higher, the energy was higher now in these last two matches, but also against Gladbach, uh, which Dortmund, they didn't blow Gladbach away, um, but I still believe they were, over the course of the full 90 minutes, the better side. They created significantly more chances. Gladbach were pretty passive themselves, uh, very solid defensively, but going forward really didn't offer a lot, uh, except for the goal. And I, I, th- I could think of one, one other big chance. And after that, I, I can't really remember, but it's also been almost a week. Um, <laughs> so much and, I'm, and I'm old. And I'm old, so. Um, but I, to me, Dortmund definitely deserved the victory. They were the better side over the course of the entire match, and just thankful moving on in the cup to play against, uh, obviously, a team that we know very well out of the cup. Yeah, Werder Bremen. Dortmund obviously have a lot of prominent history in the cup, but it's also the team that dumped them out of the competition last season, and uh, Dortmund will head to the Weserstadion. I don't know if it's the 4th or the 5th February and two weeks later they will meet again at the Weserstadion in the Bundesliga then. So it's uh, a little bit uh, like the two duels against Gladbach which uh, Dortmund of course both won. Um, what I liked about this game is that uh, we finally saw Weigel next to Witzel in defensive midfield. I thought that helped um, make the connections to Hazard and Brandt and Sancho of course. The front four in general, and I think that was a little bit the, the the key for Dortmund to have a more positive ball progression because in this game Nico Schulz and Lukas Piszczek, um didn't play their their best football and um, I have to say Dortmund struggle right now a lot um, to build over the wings. I I think there's there's still a severe lack of automatism. Um, 
that when uh, you pass to the fullback and and trying to um, run your build-up sequence that the balls sometimes get stuck because uh, your fullback gets pressed by the opponent and then it it kind of be- becomes a very nervy affair and you just never find the space behind that opposition fullback or wingback or whatever. And uh, I hope it improves in the future, but in the meantime, it's nice that Dortmund actually found a way through the middle, which is more effective anyway. So that was very positive and... Uh, Of course, uh, someone who had a lot to do with that was uh, Danaxel Zagadou, who was uh, in for Mats Hummels, who had the stomach flu. And um, Zagadou played very well, I I think, except for uh, defending the goal. But I wouldn't completely put all the blame on him there, even though he was drawn a little bit out of position. But it was just also just a very good run of, of Turam. So um, what I liked about Zagadou in this game, and obviously something we've seen before, um, is that he had the confidence to take the ball with his feet and, and dribble forward and, and break lines and overall his distribution was very well and um, the partnership with uh, Manuel Akanji also worked very well so um, that overall to me was a very positive performance in the highlight because it it helps for the future to know that you can sl- slot uh, Dan Axel Zagadou in there and, and he can perform I obviously cannot foresee whether he will meet this requirement with consistency but for the time being there is this note if Matsumils is out or should need a rest that you can plug Zagadou in there next to Akanji and it works quite smoothly especially with the triangle of, of Weigel and Witzel so I was very impressed and then of course um, um, yeah Dortmund were I mean overall the game wasn't you know on the edge of your seat stuff it was uh, two clubs trying to neutralize each other and uh, then really in the second half for a long time I really grew frustrated because Dortmund were not really playing on the front foot and uh, Gladbach gained more and more control and eventually they scored and um, we've questioned Dortmund character in recent weeks a lot and uh, wondered to when they you know start to play with urgency and, and start to fight and I think Maybe the fact that the DFB Pokal is such a special competition that you have basically no other option than to play forward. I I, I know you could apply the same logic to any Bundesliga game, but I feel like uh, in in the mind of a player, so maybe maybe the 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 knockout competition does something to you that they finally just basically said screw it and basically said the. The uh, desire to win is now bigger than the fear of losing, and this is for for the first time in a very long time how they played. And uh, it didn't take Dortmund long to to actually take the lead and uh, unleash Julian Brandt is something we obviously want to see. And and those two goals were um, yeah also very nice. Obviously the first one I think had two deflections, but the second one was just a, a very good cross and a very good header, and also. Um, yeah, you know, consistent pressure up front. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk about depth and, and uh, you know, Dortmund playing with more energy than uh, the opponent now or, or later. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's just good to see that Dortmund in, in all these midweek games can shift into another gear while a team like Gladbach right now cannot. 
No, I, I agree. It's it's good to see. And I think we can talk about it now when we talk about Wolfsburg as far as energy and depth goes, because it's a theme that, that carried on seamlessly uh, into the next match. Uh, so I, I think we've probably covered everything we need to cover as a recap recap of the uh, DFB Pokal match at this point. Yeah, okay, then then I guess we, we can move on. And uh, I, I'd say it now because um, Dortmund, I think, made six changes to the team that started in the Revier Derby. Uh, according to Lucien Favre, I actually didn't check that. But they also made five changes on Saturday to the team that started on, on uh, Wednesday. And I think now we're finally starting to see um, the big advantage that Dortmund have in terms of squad depth over I would say most teams in the Bundesliga, especially Bayern Munich, who right now um, have a bit of an injury malaise, but they also start with a very thin squad. But obviously other teams, uh, just because of their financial constraints, except for Leipzig, uh, cannot compete with that. A team like Gladbach or Wolfsburg certainly cannot. And we already saw it in the last 15 to 20 minutes against Schalke um, that Dortmund had... had uh, you know, something left in the tank while Schalke obviously had not. Um, that is also a consequence of their high-octane pressing style and Dortmund were lucky to be still in the game. But nevertheless, um, same, I think, is fair to say happened against Gladbach and then, of course, Wolfsburg. Um, Julian Weigel literally said after the Wolfsburg match that uh, they just felt that the opponents uh, were tiring out and uh, in the second half just couldn't uh, close the gaps as quickly anymore and that helped Dortmund to I thought was what was the best half um, since the Barcelona game so just very happy and um, I mean if if we look at the lineup to um, for example give Witzel a rest and, and play Dahoud and Weigel I thought was was a key For, for the win, not only because uh, I really wanted Witzel to have a rest, but also um, it's good to see that Favre finally trusts Sahut, and uh, I sometimes wonder why he didn't sooner. But um, here we are um, with a whole new double pivot for, I think, three straight games, and uh, it, it worked out quite well for Dortmund, and you really saw that Witzel, uh, uh, that Weigel and Sahut A, create the connections between defense and offense, which is something that Dortmund obviously struggled with, especially with the Delaney-Witzel double pivot, but also from the get-go. And I think that was quite different uh, uh, than the Gladbach game, but maybe with the uh, confidence um, gained from that match, Dortmund actually pressed Wolfsburg very high. And I think the... Uh, The attitude and mindset overall of the just the player type that Dahoud is and, and Weigel also um helped really to to um keep the pressure on. I don't remember Wolfsburg even really having a touch beyond the halfway line in the first 10 minutes or so, just because Dortmund were so aggressive. Obviously, you cannot uh keep that tenacity up uh, endlessly, but it's still a good sign that Dortmund just come out of the gate and, and pummel an opponent and, and really make life difficult for them and, and regain uh, control uh, as, as soon as you lose the ball. So that was, to me, very positive and uh, something that, that I think... uh shows us that the Dortmund team after a dip and the struggle is hopefully now on on the you know on the on the right path and on the right direction obviously they will have to prove that in the in the upcoming games but uh, nevertheless uh, yeah to to me just just a very good uh, sign also 
of Lucien Favre to make these decisions because we have uh, slated him quite a bit on this podcast, but I really have to say in the in the last two games, he, he got it really right. And um, may, may, maybe with the exception for playing Royce as a number nine instead of Götze. But uh, that also opens another question. Um, and I'll, I'll hand it to you, Matthias. Um, do you think that seeing Brandt in the number 10 spot made Lucien Favre say, okay, um, I have Royce and I have Brandt here. And uh, in, in the past, he, he played them maybe both up top or so. But now he says, okay, Julian Brandt goes into the number 10 and Marco Royce play up top. Even though we all know Marco Royce loves the 10, hates the 9. Um, to to me, it was quite a significant decision, but I, I wonder if, if that will stick. Well, that's a that's a tough one, but you know, given that Favre, when when things are going well, he doesn't really like to change a winning team. Obviously, this formula of Brandt and the number ten is working out. If you think back over the last few seasons, though, obviously Royce last season was great in that number ten position, but he always previously came in from the left wing. I still believe that's probably his best position, most suited to his directness and his speed and stuff like that. He's not he's not a playmaker never was uh he's one who finishes off plays and creates havoc when needed and so i personally would rather i think when everyone's fit you're not going to see royce as that nine slot you'll see paco and Götze, <clears throat> but then you'll you have that rotational option of putting royce in the 10 or brandt in the 10 or moving royce to the left side because you've got azad and sancho and i'm i'm still not convinced of hakimi as a winger i just <laughs> I I personally would rather not see him there. Although he had a really good uh, um, game against Wolfsburg. He he had he had a good game but he was still making so many unforced errors. But I guess if you're making I would rather a player have the unforced errors and errant passes in the opponent's third than my own third. If you lose the ball high up the pitch and you're playing any form of game pressing, you have a chance if you lose it pretty bad badly in your own half. Yeah, things can turn hairy pretty fast against a good team. Um But to answer your question, I think this just solidifies the idea of we have options and we can't forget Marco Royce is injury prone uh, over the last few seasons. He's not getting any younger, um, whereas Brandt is significantly younger, doesn't have quite the injury issue history that Royce does. So this just gives him more options. I don't think Royce is going to get pushed out of the team because of this. But I think Favre is seeing enough evidence that maybe when all things are considered and everyone's healthy and you don't have to think too much about rotation in some matches and it's a good quality opposition, I think you can play Brandt in the 10, Royce on the left, Sancho on the right, and then you've got uh, Paco or Götze up top. And the nice thing is you've got a Hazard, you've got a Guerrero, anybody like that you can swap in as well. There's just so many options, but I still believe when Royce is fully fit and healthy, you play him. Not as a nine, and maybe not as a ten now. Uh, more back into the role that he's kind of played his entire career, which is a guy coming off the left wing. I mean, we have to always say this with an asterisk right now because it's obvious that Marco Royce is not in in full form. Um, I don't know when he picked up the ankle injury, uh, but he had to get off in the twenty seventh minute, and uh, you know, against Gladbach, he he was out with muscular problems. Before then, he wasn't at at hundred percent because he had the flu. So, um, you know, I would tread a bit lightly, and and obviously, um, 
you know, when Mark Royce is in, in his best form, there is no way around them. But nevertheless, I would say it is a positive thing if there is something like an emancipation from Mark Royce because um, Dortmund sometimes are very over-reliant on him. And uh, there are games where Marco Reus, because of the type of player he is, is just not very effective. Um, sometimes he, he uh, lacks the connections with his teammates uh, in, in midfield just because um, he has not the technical... Well, I wouldn't say technical ability, but um, ju he's just a different type of player than, than Julian Brandt, who rotates very quickly on the spot and, and dribbles a little bit better than Marco Royce. Marco Royce likes to turn around and run forward, but uh, he does not uh, dribble on, on close space as well as Brandt does, I would say. So um, just having a different type of player sometimes help Dortmund to unlock opponents uh, when, when Marco Royce just uh, yeah seems AWOL in the game. Um, I don't want to diss on Marco Royce, but I just feel like this is uh, just... Uh, you know, a pitfall of his, of his style and, and the player type he is. So, um, overall, that is positive. And I think Julian Brandt might be the future as the number 10 in, in, in Dortmund. So, uh, it's, it's not, not a bad problem to have, to be honest. And, um, you know, Julian Brandt is only just arriving and, and finding his feet. So overall, a, a, another positive performance. And I have to say, I thought Dortmund also just looked a little bit sharper and better. Um, after the 27th minute when Mario Götze came on because I thought the the construct just worked a little bit better with the front four of uh, Hazard, Brandt, Hakimi and Götze than, than with Royce up front. Um, and yeah, overall, it was a first half that was quite drawn out just because, as you mentioned in the preview, preview pod that never aired, that Wolfsburg are, you know, a very good defensive side and uh, Dortmund had a lot of problems I would say to uh, really find gaps but still I thought it was positive the amount of position Dortmund had where they had it and and just the way that they managed to hand the ball to Hazard to Brandt and, and whatever um, in in the final and middle third and yeah just just play it forward and and have some space and, and some some situations obviously the the last pass never came off but uh you know it's to to me it's a sea change opposed to what Dortmund showed in in other games now obviously these are all home games so uh I'd like to see this the same on the road at some point um hopefully in Munich soon but um yeah we can talk about that on Thursday of course so back to that Wolfsburg game and uh I think after Mensha had the uh the chip at the bar uh, in the first half then Dortmund really um yeah took over in the second half especially after that first goal yeah uh, without a doubt i mean what 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 you saw in that match was what we had had said you know i mean Wolfsburg score as many goals as Paderborn Paderborn play more attacking than Wolfsburg the only difference is uh, Paderborn conceded like 22 or 26 or something like that goals in the same time that Wolfsburg has conceded five um but it did showcase Wolfsburg had a couple of good chances there's no denying that but it showed their ineptitude at scoring goals which if i was glasna who was definitely, uh, after the match in the press conference, was very big on saying how much they gifted Dortmund goals and basically gifted Dortmund the win, which is complete bullshit. Um, 
it it would be a concern for me that it's like, okay, well, if the opponent scores a goal or two, how are we going to get back into this if we can't? Now, that's it reminds me a little bit of Tedesco's Schalke, where if Schalke got an early goal, they would just shut it down and the opponent couldn't get through. That's kind of how Wolfsburg is operating under Glasner. But if the opposition scores a goal or two, then Schalke under Tedesco was useless and I think that's the same thing that's going to happen to Wolfsburg. I think you're going to see Wolfsburg precipitously start to drop because in the next few matches, I think Wolfsburg play against Leverkusen and Frankfurt, two teams that like to score, um, especially Frankfurt. <laughs> you know, I mean, granted, um, Frankfurt aren't going to get as easy an opponent as Bayern München every week. So uh, Wolfsburg actually knows how to defend and has defenders. Um, usually starts more defenders than Bayern currently have on their entire roster. Um, but that being said, that that's the issue that Wolfsburg have, and Dortmund did exactly what Leipzig did to them just a few days earlier, where Leipzig scored six, and Dortmund could have scored six. There's no doubt about it. There were a few really good opportunities that Dortmund could have scored, and it's hitting them in quick transition. I'm not a big John Anthony Brooks fan as a U.S. men's national team guy. I'm not a fan of his. He's just too slow. He's too error prone. His positional play is questionable, questionable. But under Glasnow, who's a very good coach, way better than any coach Brooks has had in his career so far, including the U.S. men's national team. His positional play is better, but they're him and Bruma still aren't quick to turn guys and they're not used to playing a high line, high press, which they tried at times against Dortmund and that's when they got cut out. It's kind of like against Leipzig when the transition happened quickly, Wolfsburg were just all over the place. They could not reorganize fast enough. And you saw that here every time Dortmund picked up the tempo, they were likely to score. That that was the first goal. The second goal, they just played that free kick really fast and Wolfsburg weren't set. Um, and, and that speed kind of hurt them, as well as a few other transitional opportunities that, that Dortmund had where Wolfsburg just looked unsure with the, that pace. You know, even their midfield isn't that pacey. Yeah, they've got some pacey attackers. I'm a fan of Roussillon at, at left back, even though he didn't play that great in this match. Uh, so overall, everything kind of came together. Dortmund played to their strengths and exploited some of the weaknesses that uh, Wolfsburg have and uh, deservedly won the match and maybe could have scored a few more. Yes, so Wolfsburg could have scored a goal or two, according to Oliver Glasner, and I agree with him there. But overall, Dortmund were definitely the better side. So at least two points. Number one, as you just said, Dortmund played to their strengths. This is something uh, that they didn't always do in past games. And uh, Oliver Glasner basically said in, in the press conference after the game, that the difference between his side and the absolute top teams is that when uh, John Anthony Brooks headed that ball back into the feet of Akraf Hakimi after um, basically Marvin Hitz played a long ball forward, um, you had four Dortmund players running at high speed at Dortmund's uh, at Wolfsburg's backline, and uh, he said there are a couple of Wolfsburg players that were just prancing and they were not not aware. Um, of course, that's a little bit down to the fact that Wolfsburg were trying to eke into this game and, and actually were um, on the pathway to getting a little bit better. And and so their um, setup between the back line and the defensive midfield line, the first and second line, was a little bit stretched where Dortmund could run into. 
But nevertheless, as you just pointed out, Dortmund were actually running in full sprint. There were four attacking players and they were all just flying forward. And uh, Wolfsburg really had trouble to defend that because, of course you would, it's Dortmund at full speed. It's really hard to defend that. So um, that is just something I, I want to point out again because Dortmund finally, finally showed the urgency. That's, that's all I'm asking for. The, the urgency to to just run forward and, and try your best and, and not step on the ball and, and pass it to the defensive midfielder and, and whatnot. Just just run forward, carry it, and, and then pick out the pass. And I think Achaf Hakimi did an excellent job to, to pick out Hazard, who then finally, finally scored his first goal for Dortmund, which obviously is, is also one of the positive stories here. And he, he did it very expertly, cut inside, then aimed for the short corner, very hard to save. Um... And and uh, Hazard goal, I think we will see more often. We we might have seen it uh, almost. Uh, well, it wasn't a replica, but um, you know the uh, double back heel combination, w which was just chef's kiss. Like mwah, that was just the uh, Dortmund that we all want to see, and that that's uh, that's a positive thing, and it really makes me upbeat about hopefully the next two games that uh, the the Spielfreude is back. As we all say in German, um, Matthias, you can now explain since you are uh, the the more experienced of the two in linguistics, since you've been speaking English for a longer time, what Spielfreude means, because that will be the episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's basically the the creative flair, the enjoyment of the game is back. That that kind of we also say Leichtigkeit. I mean, that's actually what everybody said: Spielfreude and Leichtigkeit. So it's it's playing more openly, more attacking, more positively with less pressure. So they don't, don't, they're not bogged down by their own psyche. So all that put together, it just enforces the creativity. And that's in a nutshell, which Biafreude really means. Yeah, it's, it's, you made one to call it Juga Bonito or whatever, just the, the, the flair. And it, it really means the fun of the game or having fun while playing the game. Um, play fun, if you will. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I I, I think it, it becomes clear, and everyone knows what we are talking about. Uh, and uh, so yeah, that that just makes me very positive. And and Dortmund, uh, you know, they they scored a goal, and then they weren't like, okay, we have to track back and and uh, you know, retreat in our shell <laughs> around the uh, own box. Instead, Dortmund kept the pressure on and really pummeled Wolfsburg for the next. 20 minutes and terrorized them and eventually Rafael Guerrero with a very beautiful goal uh, assisted by Hazard. So um, that to me was was very positive and of course Wolfsburg had chances because uh, Dortmund left them space here and there because Dortmund were themselves on the front foot. And I prefer that so much over what we saw from Dortmund in the past where, you know, the expected goals averaged... Um, I think two or no three point two one. I think it was. Uh, you know, if you if you uh, extrapolate how Dortmund play when they are one goal up over ninety minutes, they would concede three goals and and would score themselves very very few. And here we have it differently. Yes, your opponent still creates chances, but you are yourself on the, on the front foot. And uh, you know, if Wolfsburg don't score theirs, there's a very good chance Dortmund makes it three and four. And uh, you know, in the end, they they made it three nothing. So it's it's just a sight to behold. And of course, uh, again, 
just the the sheer amount of of talent and and depth that Dortmund have, which is finally coming to fruition, and uh, something I, I I think will really help them down the stretch, especially after the next international break, uh, where a lot of other teams might get tired. I really hope that that Dortmund manage to uh, reserve that that rotational uh, masterclass because Favre is doing that well right now. He is. You know, you said Favre doesn't like to change a winning team, but right now he's doing it anyway. So I'm I'm very happy. Um, you know, after a lot of criticism toward Favre, I, I really have to tip tip my hat off. Um, I think he he's doing a well job. He's picking the right teams, and and Dortmunds are um, you know, they they're working hard for that Spielfreude to come back. So. I'm I'm just glad. Obviously, was everything perfect? No, far from it. But uh, this is, you know, at least the positivity we can ask for. And uh, yes, Dortmund are, you know, struggling in in in, in many ways. And uh, tactically, it's not all brilliant just just yet. But at, at least there's some positivity. And I I think um you know having our 300th episode, this is uh, more beats than uh, you know how we were after Dortmund really lost a terrible game against Inter and then had the scoreless draw against Schalke, which was all just ugh. So I'm 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 way more pleased with this. And uh, you know, just seeing Torgen Hazard and Julian Brandt finally do well um is is just good because uh, you know that there were synergies, there was team chemistry and, and there was urgency, all all the things that I want and uh, yeah in the end it was also a nice story that Mario Getze could finally uh, score a penalty um or or get a goal um i don't know if i would have given that pe- i probably wouldn't have given it but uh, you know the rules are so that you can just aim for the hand and uh, apparently that's a penalty um i don't know what what, what do you think about that but uh, i i didn't care uh, i i was just happy for Getze well i mean to me it's a penalty you know bruma said i didn't play it with my hand was uh, you know, my arm was tucked in, but he actually stuck it out, and that's when it happened to hit his hand. To me, yeah, that's but a handball. In a super Be- replay, you know, it's, it's yeah. not an aware movement, not a conscious move you make with your arm. It's just you know, in, with all the dynamic that just happens. You know, if, if yeah, you play no, in, it's in, true. In super slow. But- yeah, you see the arm going out, but I don't think that's that's you know, he wasn't trying to. To, to block the ball with his arm or anything. So, but this is how this is the new rule. So he, here we are. Um, it's it's funny how uh, Schalke just can't get a penalty when uh, <laughs> when the same happens uh, in in their opposing box. But uh, you know, I I don't care. Uh, to me, it's a penalty because it, his hand, which you're not allowed to use in the sport, prevented the ball from getting crossed into the box. It was extended from his body. Did he mean to do it? No. Does it matter? No. That's To me, that's the definition of what a handball is. You gain an advantage by using your hand, whether you did it... Uh, consciously or not it doesn't matter to me it was extended from the body it blocked the ball from going where it was intended to go ergo i consider that a handball Uh, to me that's more of a handball than some other stuff that's been called or not called so i have absolutely no problem with it um would it have annoyed me if it happened on the other end sure but to me it's still a handball no matter who does it but what what kind of makes it so interesting is just, what is it, a week ago or so, where Mainz and Köln had the match, and it was 
basically the same type of situation, even though the arm was well extended from the body. But the DFL or DFB, I don't remember, came out afterwards and said, yeah, that should have been called as a handball penalty. So for me, what Bruma did, it's a handball, it's a penalty, and good for Gutsa to score a deserved third goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought Dortmund really deserved to, to score another. Now, obviously, Dortmund were also riding their luck a little bit that uh, Wolfsburg and, and uh, Vekos didn't score in the later stages of the game. Marvin Hitz had a couple of very good saves to make. Um, but that's what he's there for. And uh, again, um, it's very positive, I find, that uh, when Roman Bürki is already fit enough to play and he's on the bench, that Lucien Favre can say, no, 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 hold on. Uh, you just had a flu and yes, you trained for two days, but I don't think that's enough for you to be at 100%. So I'm just going to stick you on the bench and, and uh, keep Marvin Hitzen goal, who I think is still unbeaten as a goalkeeper this season. So, um, yeah, very uh, just positive stuff that Dortmund really have a, have a depth that they can rely on. You know, having, having a lot of players in your squad is one thing, but then having reliable depth is another thing. And, uh, I think Marvin Hitz is doing his job quite well as the number two keeper. And I assume Roman Bürki will be back and go for the Inter game. But, um, you know, again, I'm just happy. Especially that Axel Witzel finally got a break because I think uh, it was a mistake to play him so many games already. Um, you know, just from what Dortmund have learned in the last season, yes, Witzel is is a player that has lots of stamina and, and can play a lot of games. But I still think that uh, fatigue is also subject to Witzel. He is human after all, and he's in his thirties, so um, it's it's just good that. Favre finally trusted the hood and, and made, made it stick because it, it was an excellent move. It, it helped Dortmund to win the game and, and was a key. And now we have a somewhat more fresh Witzel for the Inter and, and probably Bayern games. So, um, I, I think with, with the last two lineups, Dortmund won a lot and just in, in terms of takeaways. And, uh, yeah, I, I do wonder, you know, the fullback situation is maybe the only thing, um, where where Dortmund aren't completely sure what to do. You know, Schulz and Guerrero and Hakimi are rotating a little bit on that left-back spot. I, I don't think Favre is super happy yet with what Schulz is doing. And uh, Guerrero certainly had a good game against Gladbach, but we'll see what happens against Inter. But um, it was also nice that our 300th episode lined up with uh, Lukas Piszczek's 300th Bundesliga game, or... I think it was, right? So, um, uh, yeah, it was his 300th. It was Lucien Favre's, uh, birthday as well. And I just watched before we recorded the press conference for the intermatch where Lucien Favre had a very interesting anecdote about Piszczek that a Polish reporter asked. Uh, when Piszczek got the offer to go to Dortmund, he called Favre and asked if Favre should, if, if he should go. And Lucien Favre told him, if need be, walk there. Go there as fast as you can go to Dortmund. So I guess we have to thank Lucien Favre for pointing Pischek in the right direction. Which is crazy is that they realized as the question was asked that this whole thing happened 10 years ago. <laughs> that to me is just, you know, um, it's, it's just bonkers how, how, how time passes. I can't believe that Pischek has been at Dortmund for a decade now. I don't know about you, but, uh, wow. Uh, you know, just yeah, just, just take a moment to to appreciate that. 
and and what an amazing player he has been uh so reliable over all these years um i'm i'm just grateful for for uh a the the loyalty and and uh you know the ups and downs he went through with the club and uh i i really hope there's another up for him to celebrate I, I agree. I mean, he, they said that November or this month, um, he will be playing his last match for Poland as an international. Um, so I don't know how many more seasons he really has left in him. Uh, but he surprised us more than once by all of a sudden playing really, really well again, even after injuries. So, uh, hopefully, um, we, he gets a great, I'm not going to say final season. Who knows if this is going to be his last season at Dortmund, but I think he's going to retire as a Dortmund player. Um, so it would be great if uh, there could be yet another trophy for his collection uh, as a Dortmund player uh, by the end of at least this season. Yeah, I mean, I I think it was on Instagram or so, but uh, somewhere I I saw his his daughter, and uh, <laughs> she is also all well, not all grown up, but uh, you know, I remember when uh, you know it was just a baby. Now she's also like six, seven years old, or so I, I'm I'm not sure, but. Uh, Yeah, it's it's crazy how how fast time moves. So um, yeah, here we all are, <laughs> and Lukas Pischek now has 300 league games. I think for Dortmund, well, was it in general? I'm I'm not sure, but uh, it was in general. It was all Bundesliga games, but of course, the majority he played at uh, Dortmund. And we can't forget when he came to Hertha, where Lucien Favre was his manager, he was a striker. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 very glad that Lucien Favre realized that. Lukas Piszczek isn't a striker. Yes, Jurgen Klopp gets a lot of credit for them making it stick, but I think uh, Favre was the man that really put uh, Piszczek at that right-back spot, and it, it worked out. So now, of course, Dortmund had a very positive evening or afternoon against Wolfsburg, and they're back in second place behind Gladbach, who managed to win the... Uh, Derby, if you want to call it that, against Bayer Leverkusen. And uh, another team had a very positive afternoon, which was RB Leipzig, who select Mainz 8-0, which was quite impressive. And uh, it seems Leipzig themselves have overcome their little bit of a dip they had, where they didn't, you know, get too many points. We'll see if... Uh, if that uh, you know high scoring blip is is just a blip or whether they uh, can perform on a more consistent level in the next games but um i would say the best afternoon of all teams had eintracht frankfurt 5 to 1 against bayern munich and um i don't know about you Matthias, but the the level of schadenfreude was quite high especially after uh, that foul in the ninth minute by jerome boateng um who obviously pointed out correctly to the referee that it was not inside the box. And VAR had to clarify that. And then he was sent off with a straight red, which is the correct decision. It means he will not be featuring next Saturday when uh, Domo play at the Allianz Arena, which I think is the biggest boost you can have. Um, because, of course, Bayern right now are very... Uh, thinned out at the centre-back position. I think David Alaba right now is playing centre-back for them and Alfonso Davis is playing left-back. Um, and yeah, Benjamin Pavard, who is also out of form, is, is playing the other centre-back. So it's really not looking good for them and they have uh, one other option, which is uh, Javi Martinez. But as Dortmund fans know, 
Martinez is probably the uh, Bayern player that's most prone to individual mistakes against Dortmund. So I would welcome him as well. So, yeah, I obviously don't know what the new coach will, will make. But, you know, if you're without Lucas Hernandez and without Niklas Süle, then uh, you have a bit of a problem if you're Bayern Munich. So this at least is a big advantage for Dortmund. Now, um, in terms of levels of Schadenfreude, I don't know how far my Schadenfreude goes that Bayern sacked Kovac on Sunday instead of, let's say, after the international break or, or, or after the game against Dortmund. Because uh, traditionally, I feel Dortmund do not play well against teams that just had a new coach. So we'll see about that. But overall, um, what do you make of the burning tree in Munich? Well, it's been burning for a while. And I did watch the, the Bochum uh, Pokal game against enjoyable. Bayern. It was enjoyable. And I feel really bad for... I've never said this before. I really feel bad for VfL Bochum. Um, <laughs> you know, I, have that, a, I personally have a lot of sympathy for Bochum. Yeah, it's because the last time they were a consistent force in the Bundesliga, you were five years old. So um, the, the the rivalry that used to kind of be there between the also-ran Borussia Dortmund against the also-ran VfL Bochum, if we go back to the 80s and early 90s, that, that's long been gone. Um, well, but I, I would uh, say this, the last season of Bochum, as far as I know, had to rehab... Re, uh, re habilitate Mohamed Zidane and Lucas Barrios in one game because I think Lucas Barrios had a bit of a, a slump, but Bochum were there to basically be the slump buster for both these players. So that was very positive. So while uh, you may just laugh it off as uh, me being still a kid back then, but A, I wasn't that young anymore. And, and uh, also Bochum had Dortmund to, you know, Catch, re recatch their form. So uh, it was an important slumbuster team for Dortmund. Some uh, called it the 13th home match. So uh, the the 18th home match, of course. I'm sorry. So um, yeah, because Bochum obviously is just like a subway right away. And uh, I I must admit I actually really like going there just for a game of football because it's it's just a very romantic ground. You know, it just feels like football and the Bratwurst there is, is very good. So if you uh, are in Dortmund and the schedule allows it for you to catch the Bochum game, please do. Because A, it's the tickets are cheap and the Bratwurst is good. And well, the football isn't great, but at least you get some good old Ruhrpott atmosphere. So, you know, if, if yeah, I, I, no, I'll be the trip advisor, please go ahead and do that. Uh, I mean, you're right. The football is not great. You can't forget Bochum is battling against relegation to the Bundesliga and almost beat Bayern in the cup. Um, so they're, you know, they asked Manuel Neuer at that point, how are things? And he's like, they're pretty bad. Uh, and then they asked him again after uh, Bayern losing 5-1 to Frankfurt. He's like, oh, it's going to be a really interesting week. Uh, anecdotally, Bayern's second team also shipped five goals this weekend, losing to SV Meppen in the third league, five to three. So it was not a good day at the Siebenerstrasse, whether you were a first team or a second team member. Um, but that being said, I feel bad for Niko Kovac. He's a likable guy. I think he's a good coach for a mid-table side. You need to be a special kind of someone to deal with 
not just Bayern as, you know, the Bayern fan base who, you know, expect a lot of things, but it's the Bayern fan base. Come on. Okay. Um, it's more about you're dealing with the egos in the locker room and the egos in the boardroom, so to speak. I mean, you're dealing with Rummenigge and Hoeneß. You've got a probably, I would say, if not the one of the most incompetent sporting directors in the Bundesliga in Hassan Bratzel Zalihamidzic, um, because at the end of the day, none of them did Kovac any favors in building a team that suits his style of play or getting him enough depth to deal with the strain of a Bayern season, because they're always going to be playing in three competitions. And you can see it right now. You sell Hummels, and you're like, okay, we're, we're still okay. You know, we've got, we're, we're not going to get rid of Boateng now, because nobody wants his bloated contract. But we've got Zule, we've got Luca Hernandez, and a very overrated Benjamin Pavard. And then Zula out for the season, Lucas Hernandez out for a long time, and now Boateng is going to be out for at least one match. I don't know if he's going to be out for multiple I matches. I don't know that. But you've got to rely on Benjamin Pavard, who is, uh, I, I forget who tweeted it out uh, this week, and it said, could it be that he's the most overrated defender in the Bundesliga? Um, I mean, he did play for a bad Stuttgart side and didn't play very well for them. So yeah, I think there was sort of I, in, in the tune of uh, I think ESPN was it questioning whether uh, Robert Lewandowski is the most underrated striker, and uh, I would say yes. who's going to get an operation soon too. Yes. Um. But so I he won't miss a game, but he will have yeah. groin surgery. Yeah, groin surgery. It says he could miss seven to ten days. Ideally, they do it now, so he misses the next seven to ten days. <laughs> but it sounds like they're going to do it basically during that international break, so we won't miss any time. Uh, I consider that if he's in enough pain that they need an operation, to me, you're playing with fire, Bayan. If you're going to be like, well, let's just give it another week or two and then do an operation to help him out, um, you're risking more injury. But here's the crazy thing. A guy who's been playing with an injury has still scored 14 goals in the Bundesliga so far this season. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal what he's doing, but I don't want to, you know, be on a hype train for Lewandowski because Lord knows he doesn't do it. And honestly, he just annoys the hell out of me because he's constantly screaming, bitching and moaning on the pitch. And it's really annoying you to know, watch. It annoyed me but, that he against Bochum felt necessary to, uh, you know, do a blatant dive. I don't know if you remember this, but um, I think it was in the, in 2012 or so when uh, Bochum played Bayern in the German Cup and Bochum were also leading then or it was a draw and Bayern only won because Ian Robben had a blatant dive in the box and uh, won a penalty. Um, completely crazy deci decision. But, um, you know, it, it's just annoying because you have this underdog that is really fighting you know, as as good as they can, and then you have these world stars, and uh, they they feel like it's not beneath them to just blatantly dive uh, and and try to to cheat them them themselves ahead in in, in these games. It just annoys me. It just rubs me the wrong way. So um, yeah, just just very annoying. But um, yeah, con con continue. Why uh, do do you think it was the right decision uh, to can Kovac now? Um, well, I mean, his, his position had become untenable, 
you, even if you're down to 10 men, they completely capitulated against Eintracht Frankfurt. He has obviously lost the locker room a long time ago. And at Bayern, it's just ask Carlo Ancelotti. You lose that egomaniac of a locker room, you're done. You're toast. You're, they have no problem just not trying quite as hard. Now, they're not going to throw a match to get a manager out, but they're definitely not going to try as hard. They're going to complain the whole time. They're not really going to be into it. So his position had become untenable. Now, obviously, they couldn't fire him in the summer because he just won the double. Uh, that would be that would just look stupid. Uh, but at this point, he was set up for failure. Not, I don't believe, willingly by the boardroom, but by the lack of transfers, a lack of depth that they brought is an issue. And then obviously many, many of the players, especially the Uabayan, be it a Boateng. Okay, he's not an Uabaya, but you know what I mean. Boateng and Müller, um, Hummels also when he was still there. So ironically, three of the players, or not ironically, who got kicked out by Luf, um, really worked against him. And, and I think probably a few more. I'm not that into the Bayan scene because there's only so much of it I can take. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not 100% sure. I just feel bad for Niko Kovac. I think the timing, it is what it is. I don't think you could have picked the perfect time, maybe waited an extra week or two. But I think they were worried, looking at the schedule, they've got Champions League and then they have Dortmund. If we don't pull the plug now, we may be really far behind in, in all of our plans for this season uh, with winning the title and stuff like that. So we'll pull the plug now. Hansi Flick, I think, is a very good coach. Um, I think everything is set up that Ten Hag will take over eventually from Ajax, be it this season or next season. Um, obviously, all the cards are in his and his agent's hands at this point. Uh, they have all the power. Uh, and Bayern, uh, it would be a smart appointment to pick him because it kind of follows that Pep Guardiola tree that they had until Ancelotti came and everything just kind of fell apart. Um, so... Uh, I, I still think it, it works in Dortmund's favor because everything is a little unknown, a little chaotic. Hansi Flick, I think, is a good coach. He gets his opportunity now. Uh, obviously, he was Joachim Löw's right-hand man uh, when, when Germany won the World Cup. And so um, he's, he's competent. He, 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 he knows the sport. He's tactically astute from everything I've read and heard. That being said, they're still dealing with... Uh, Pavad and whoever else lines up next to him in defense. So uh, it doesn't matter who the coach is. It's going to be a tough ask, especially because Dortmund's trajectory is up, whereas Bayern has been slumping for a while. I don't think you're going to get a new manager bounce, as it were, uh, just by plugging Hansi Flick, who's been there this season already, into the starting role. Like he is new. He has been involved in the decision-making process so far. So unless he blew the whistle and and basically lined out every mistake that Kovac made and how he could have done it all better, I I'm not entirely sure uh, he will be the instant upgrade. But of course, um, the effect will be there. And so far, that that uh, players no longer have an alibi. Um, I I think that that still counts even in professional sport. That uh, you know you no longer have Kovac who you know takes all the blame. I think now the focus is more on the team again. So that should help Bayern. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I feel a little bit uneasy. I would have preferred, uh, Dortmund to, to play against the Nico Kovac Bayern and against the Hansi Flick Bayern. I'm, I, I must be honest here. But, uh, nevertheless, it's, it's nice to see a little bit turmoil at, at the Sebener Straße. And, um, you know, on the, on the other hand, it's, it's never good that they actually react 
when things aren't going, uh, you know, perfectly. I mean, right now, Bayern are four points off the lead, but I don't think their focus really is on the, on the Bundesliga as much. I think it's more of the overall development. And of course, the, the Champions League title. Um, this is, I would assume is what Bayern are aiming for. And of course, um, what I think happened is, I think Sportbild broke it first that Kovac would get an ultimatum of, of two more games, but then obviously he met with the board. And I think when Bayern says, okay, you get two more games and if the results are okay, you can continue. I think this is where Kovac himself realized, okay, this is untenable for me and I'll, I'll just go because, um, obviously you will want to be graded on a longer development and not just two games. So this is for, for him, it was pretty much the time to, I don't know, some wrote that he resigned. Others say it was a, uh, you know, a collab collaborated decision, whatever. Um, it, it's just nice to see that, that Bayern are, are struggling immensely severely and also somewhat predictively. Now we all have to hope that uh, Hansi Flick doesn't turn it completely around and uh, make them into a team that they certainly can be with the squad they have. Um, I think Bayern are lacking a, somewhat of a tactical flexibility. I think uh, a lot of teams have it very easy to... Um, yeah, to 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 see what Bayern are, are doing and and to look through that shape. So um, this will obviously uh, or or might be a bit tougher with Hansi Flick, but uh, who knows? I don't I don't see uh, someone installing a, a, a excellent positional play any anytime soon and um, create more urgency in that team. But uh, yeah, now now would be the time for Dortmund to twist the knife even more. If you ask me, but uh, we will obviously discuss all that in the next episode on Thursday after the uh, Champions League, which I think, unless you have anything else to say on on Bayern Munich and their struggles, other than it was nice to see them lose so heavily, um, I I think uh, we can move on to the Champions League. I agree. I think we've dedicated enough time uh, to to them. If you want to know more about Bayern, I'm sure you can find a million and one resources for that. Yeah, so so do I. So um, yeah, uh, Dortmund play Inter in the in the second game, and Dortmund now are in third place in the Champions League. I think they are trailing Inter by one point. And um, the good news is, at least from from uh, my observation, Dortmund played terribly, terribly, terribly in the first leg however um i wasn't also quite impressed with inter to be honest yes they won the game but it wasn't like i was blown away but by the performance so um given that dortmund have improved and the newfound urgency and the fact that it's a home game maybe that can translate that dortmund are now a little bit better than in the first game and inter are maybe a little bit worse or the same i don't know you have probably observed them a little better and and cancer can answer cancer can answer that question now for me um yeah uh, and i think you uh, when you said point i think you meant by one goal because uh, obviously they have the same points but it's a goal difference of one goal in the in the champions league table between Dortmund and inter uh having watched the three matches from inter since uh, the Champions League tie, um, you know, you had a 2-all draw against Parma, a 2-1 victory against Brescia, and then a 2-1 victory against Bologna. And Inter were less than impressive in all three of those matches. I mean, a few takeaways right away. 
four matches, uh, three matches. Inter scored six, scored six goals, but they also conceded four. No clean sheet. And remember, everybody talks about how great Inter is defensively. Statistically, they're not that much better than, than Dortmund overall. Um, but where, where I see by, by Inter, they had, they had luck on their side, uh, against specifically against Brescia. Brescia who played them hard. Uh, almost equal in all categories. Uh, they opened the scoring with Lautaro Martinez goal that got massively deflected. No chance for the Brescia keeper. And Brescia, I mean, think about it. Brescia, Parma, Bologna. Those are teams that are in, you know, that are either newly promoted or last season were kind of lower, lower mid table or looking at least as a possible relegation candidate. And they struggled against them. Bologna, um, I believe outpossessed them, outshot them, outpassed them, and there they got a last second penalty to get the win, uh, which was a totally justified it was a it was a correct call that it was a penalty, but they still barely managed to beat Bologna and Brescia and again drew against Parma, or actually down two to one. So what that but what you see there is with Inter with Conte, they'll never give up. They'll always play to the last. Uh, they'll try anything to win. The, the category in all three of those matches, if I remember correctly, where, uh, Inter were by far ahead of their opponent was fouls, uh, especially Bologna. They fouled the hell out of Bologna. And I expect that, uh, Conte will employ a tactic which almost would make us think we have Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan coming to the Westfalenstadion this week. I think they'll try to just sit back play counters, disrupt the play, foul a lot. Negative football is what I expect to see. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to try to create and go forward and score goals. That That's always an opportunity for them, always a possibility. But um, And I wouldn't say their form trajectory is down. I'd say it's relatively flat versus Dortmund's is clearly up. It's a great opportunity for Dortmund to come out and win against an interside where there aren't questions being asked, but they've been really lucky the last three matches having watched all three of them from start to finish. Um, I, I think Inter's there to be had at the Westfalenstadion. That being said, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be enough for a victory for Dortmund. But Dortmund have significantly better all-around quality, whether it's defending, passing, attacking, than all three of those components that interfaced combined. And playing at home in the Westfalenstadion, I think, will play to Dortmund's strengths. That being said, I don't think this is going to be a match where Dortmund's going to shoot a goal 15 times with 10 on target. I think it's one with very few goal-scoring opportunities. And it's down to Dortmund to be clinical. And Handanovic has had a few mistakes here these last few matches. So I think this is a good time to uh, host Inter at the Westfalenstadion uh, for Dortmund, given where both teams are now and looking at the last few matches. Well, I'm glad to hear. First of all, I have to issue a correction because Dortmund and Inter are on uh, level on points. Both have four points to Barcelona seven. I'm I'm sorry. Um, and second of all, um, Dortmund really need to get their scoring boots on because if I counted correctly, which uh, I just proved I'm not the best at counting apparently, um, Dortmund have only scored in their, in two games out of the last eight in the Champions League. So I think they're in all of the last eight, there are six games where they failed to score. And to me, that is not very positive. So basically, the melee started after they pounced Atletico Madrid for nothing, and then, uh, then yeah, 
it, it sort of dried up. Then, yeah, they had uh, another 2-0 win away to Monaco. But after that, Tottenham and then, yeah, scoreless draw against Barcelona and so on and so forth. Um, so I really hope that Dortmund can finally rediscover the efficiency. I think um, in, in, in previous Champions League games, uh, obviously it's a little bit harder, but I think... Um, Dortmund need to need to keep doing what they've been doing in in the cup in the Bundesliga now, um, just to have a little bit more connections. So, my question to you is: um, Do you think Favre should play the Delaney Witzel double pivot again? And uh, if so, do you think? Because I believe he should, but I also believe he he should uh, sub off Witzel in the se- uh, Delaney in the second half and then bring on Weigel or whoever. Or do you think he should just stick with the Weigel-Witzel partnership, which uh, also worked out quite well? Well, I A, what I think will happen, and B, what I think should happen are the same. <laughs> so I, w- I would expect Witzel Delaney as the double pivot also to counteract the physicality of Inter at the center of the uh, pitch because Weigel is not the most physical person. He's good at retaining the ball under pressure, but he's he's easy to push off the ball. Delaney is more the quote-unquote fighter of the two uh, and will get stuck in and maybe get under the skin of some of those interplayers um, who can sometimes lose their head if provoked in the right way. Um, especially given they have such a fiery manager on the touchline as well, and that a lot of times will translate into the players' actions as well. So I think uh, Delaney Fitzel is called for in this type of match. Now, if you're not getting anywhere with decisive passing, uh, I agree with you. I think then Weigel would come on. I don't want to see Weigel as a center-back partner next to Hummels because just the pace, I think, will be a problem. Yeah. Um, so I agree with... Game. Oh, big time, big time. And and yes, people have complained about Akanji, but he won't get beaten for pace. So you you definitely need that guy next to Hummels. Um, so, but if if you're still, if it's a draw or it's tight or whatever, it, I think, yeah, I agree with you. Weigel should come on so you can have a little bit more openness and passing. If you don't want to bring on Weigel, maybe bring in Dahoud. Next to Witzel, kind of gives you a little bit of the same thing, but maybe more of an offensive push and have Witzel drop a little bit deeper in that case. But either way, you get the same overall feeling of playing a decisive pass out of the center of the pitch um, against a probably very deep-seating, very defensively-oriented interside. So, uh, but I do expect Witzel Delaney to start. So um, what Favre did get absolutely right in the first game um was the tactical setup where he sent Dortmund out in a three uh, with back three? I think it was a, a three-five-two uh, formation, um, or how, however you want to call it. Uh, change obviously when when you are in possession yourself. Um, then it's more of a three-four-three or whatever. Um, but that's besides the point. Uh, Dortmund played with the back three for the first time in a very long time, um, and I think Favre got a lot of praise for that. So um, I wonder if uh, Favre will do the same again to account for what Inter are doing, or do you think he will say, nah, this is our home and we'll just play 4-2-3-1 or whatever? Well, I mean, he got asked that exact question in the press conference today, and uh, with a smile and a wink, he said it was the right formation when playing in Milan. At home, it's always different. And then he just laughed. So to me, that indicates... 
He's probably going to play a 4-2-3-1, which Conte is probably banking on. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes 3-4-3. The key thing is, though, you're attacking players. Um, I think Sancho, Azard, Brandt, and Götze or Paco, those are the people you need to throw out there. Obviously, I don't expect to see Royce, given his injury. I don't expect to see Brun Larsen out there because he's not the kind of player that you need against that uh, back line from Inter. Um, maybe it's a more fluid 4-2-3-1 that can, you know, pivot in different ways, especially because you're going to be dealing with two strikers. So having three center backs can sometimes help. Um, but Favre was also correct in his answer to the reporter that asked him. He's not going to tell you how he's going to play. What do you expect him to go? Oh, yeah, totally. I'm going to play exactly like we played last time. And Conte goes, okay, I'll make a note of that. Thank you so much. No, so I I personally think it's going to go four two three one because Dalton have really flourished in that in the last two matches. Would I be shocked if he plays a three four three? No, um, but then you you need to play with those more. I, I would rather see Paco up there than Gutsa because you need that more decisive. I want to score goals type player in my opinion against this at times static and not very fast. Backline, which Julian Brandt also said, uh, we have an advantage when it comes to pace over Inter's defense. And he's correct, but you actually have to do something with that, which they didn't do in Milan. Yeah, I think Julian Brandt in Milan was one of the most disappointing, uh, disappointing players. Um, he was just uh, completely misguided, <laughs> literally by the coach, I would say. he was. He looked very out of position and he didn't really know what to do there um so i am glad at the prospect and i'm looking forward to it that julian brand will play as, as a number 10 or more centrally and and uh further down the pitch which i think will help ask more questions of this inter backline than uh, dortmund have asked in the first game where it was basically only Jaden sancho had a, who had a couple of good moments and that was basically it so I do expect this to change quite dramatically in terms of how much Dortmund will be on the front foot and how much they will create. Um, what we've seen from Dortmund in the, in the first leg was also again, um, fullbacks not really working out, but you know, for Christ's sake, Nico Schultz at some point played as the striker. So, um, this is something that, that should not happen. And, uh, I agree with you. You need, and number nine in there. I don't know if I would start Paco right away. I don't know his fitness levels. Uh, maybe give it to Götze and then bring Paco on later on to torment Inter's side. And uh, if I remember correctly, Nima Taveli, who uh, was on here to preview the first game, he basically told us that Inter have a habit to sort of drop off in energy levels quite severely after the uh, 75th minute or so. And... Uh, you know, looking at the evidence we have of Dortmund in the last three games, uh, Dortmund certainly, um, yeah, don't have that drop off. So here's to hope that Dortmund keep their fitness level somewhat up and Inter actually drop off and maybe we'll see another game where Dortmund can decide it in their favor uh, very late in the game. Um, so. I, w I wouldn't bet against that. Let's put it this way. You know, maybe Dortmund decided before that, maybe Inter, uh, play like Wolfsburg, but more efficient in front of goal and get two goals and then Dortmund uh, looks stupid. Who knows? Anything can happen because it's the Champions League and it's going to be a very tight affair and I'm personally just looking forward to it. 
So um, that all being said, who would you play as a fullback or as a wingback? Yeah, good question. Um, because obviously uh, Inter, they don't play with fullbacks plus wingers. They just have those wingbacks. Uh, there's pace coming at you, so you want to match that pace. Mm, I think, you know, you probably want to put Nico Schulz at left and Hakimi at right back so you can keep up with the pace. I just feel Pischek will get overrun. I think Guerrero would, will get overrun at the fullback positions. So those would be the players that I would prefer to have there uh, personally. But then you also need anybody who's ahead of them as a winger to help back because then you can force that ball into more central locations where ideally you can overpower enter in, in an oppressing situation. Um so I, I would like to see Schultz and Hakimi as the fullback. I think Schultz will get the start. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Pischek on the other side. Now, next question. <laughs> and uh, I, I love this this question. Uh, so should Dortmund play with a back three? Should Dortmund play Julian Weigel again in central defense? Or should they play with Akanji, Hummels and Zagadou? Or should they play with Pischek? Akanji and Hummels. Well, um, interesting. I know, we, well, have, if, we have options, if, we have things to discuss. Yeah, yeah. If, if they play with a back three, okay, which I don't think they will, but if, um, I don't think you would necessarily want to play Weigel, Hummels, and Akanji. I mean, you would probably then would have Hummels on the left, Akanji on the right and Vigo centrally, almost like more like a libero type position. I just feel like you're lacking some pace, unless of course you've got really pacey fullbacks that understand, hey, you're not going to do a lot in attack, but we need you to make sure you you do your duties defensively. Um, Pischek in the back three, I think, is more intriguing because he has a little bit more pace. But again, you know me, I'm not a big fan of fullbacks playing in a center back position because I feel like they naturally drift well, said, into their Pischek, fullback position too often. For example, played pretty well yeah. as a right uh, center yeah. half or halfback. I know, but it, but it's been a few seasons since Tuchel. Um, <laughs> whether, but then if you play Hummels. Zagadou and Akanji, I think you're also missing a little bit of that pace because Zagadou isn't necessarily super pacey. But then, what? I mean, you'd, you'd probably have to play Hummels in the center in that kind of libero position, um, which could work. So if he plays a back three, I would probably lean more towards Hummels, Weigel, and Akanji than towards any other variation thereof interesting interesting i don't know i i might actually play pischek instead i don't know but i i, I mean i liked zagadou against gladbach a lot but then again um this is the champions league and uh, it's on another level no offense to gladbach but <laughs> i i feel like uh, zagadou will have to um you know be less error prone and uh, we know he has a lapse here and there which pischek obviously has as well so um I'm I'm a bit torn and I agree with you it's probably going to be a back four so this entire exercise we just made is for naught but uh, it's still fun to talk about um though if if we would play with Zagadou the thing is he can dribble forward better I would say than Pischek um 
and uh, you would have the advantage of having Hummels at the center, which I like better than having Weigel at the center. So um, in, in that scenario, uh, this is why this is maybe my main argument for why you would play Zagadou, Akanji and Hummels just because you have Hummels then really in, in the center where he can maybe do the most damage. I don't know. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting game tactically and I I cannot wait to uh, see the lineup at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So... I, I don't know. Should we should we move on to predictions or are there any team news from Inter that you can maybe report? Because I so far haven't seen anything. Uh, nothing per se pops to mind right now. I think we could just move along to the predictions. What what do you think? How do you think it's going to end well, up? Well, I actually think that Dortmund will win this three to one. I um, I'm I'm quite optimistic about this game now, uh, and it might bite me in the ass. So um. I mean, if if we mention one injury at at Inter, um, Alexis Sanchez is obviously still out, but uh, Stefano Sensi is uh, also ruled out, and I think he is the uh, most important player for Inter. So, um, yeah, I I I actually expect the, the same lineup that Inter played in the same way uh, as they played in, in the first leg. So I don't see a lot of changes there, but I do think Dortmund will be a different team. So th- there we are. So 3-1 Dortmund is um, my prediction. I, I think they will turn it up again. And also because they have to, they really have to win this game. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm I'm also optimistic. I may not be as optimistic as you. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm three goals optimistic. I do believe Inter will concede. Uh, that seems to be a thing they've been doing a lot lately. You can't forget before the Dortmund match, they conceded three against Asuolo. So they haven't Dortmund kept a clean clinical. sheet in a while. I just... Oh, I, they've found it again. They've found that confidence in putting the ball where it needs to be, including the back of the net. Um, I think uh, Dortmund will win. I think Dortmund will jump out to a 2-0 lead. And then I think uh, Lukaku will poach one back. It'll be 2-1 and then really nervy final 10-15 minutes. But again, then Dortmund will just have more in the tank than Inter to do much more about it. I don't think they'll be quite as naive in their uh, attacking approach as they were in Milan, where they were kind of chasing the result at the end. So uh, I think a 2-1 victory for Dortmund is definitely a a realistic prediction. Yeah, I think 3-1 is also a realistic prediction, to be honest. Uh, I, I also think we will see... A better Jaden Sancho. Um, I don't know if he, if he'll start or as a sub, but I I think he will uh, perform much better than in, in recent weeks. I I think um, because Dortmund have more synergy, and I think this will help him overall because the, the construct just looks a little bit better. So I just hope Dortmund can tack on what they've shown in the previous games. Yes, uh, it wasn't all perfect, far from it. Again. But uh, you know there there is some positivity there, and I hope they can can cling on. And, and, and take this Spielfreude, as we like to call it, and, uh, also show it against Inter. Because I, I don't know about you, but I really feel like, uh, if, if you really, um, you know, go berserk like Dortmund did in the 20 to 25 minutes against Wolfsburg, um, I think something similar can happen to Inter that they just, uh, you know, try to defend and, and don't really, uh, yeah, have, have an answer. I feel like they can also, come under a lot of pressure and then struggle to deal with it i don't know you watch them more but i, I just feel like this is a, this is a team that's predestined for that sort of situation as well 
Agreed. Okay. All right. So I guess that's it. And we can uh, now tell our listeners how to get, how, how they can tweet at us on the internet. Matthias, I will go first because I think it's now for you to do the outro. So you can find me at Stefan Butzko. Thank you very much for listening to episode 300. And uh, Matthias, I'll hand over to you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Huck. Uh, you can find all of us at Yellow Wall Pod. You can also find us at Yellow Wall Pod on Facebook. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, you name it. You can find it there. Also go to Yellow Wall Pod or was it yellowwall.net? The yellowwall.net to to find the written content there as well. We appreciate all the support also on Patreon. Uh, there's just uh, Yellow Wall Pod. And uh, really quickly want to say a big, big thank you. It's been 300 episodes. Feels like, yes, it's been already over seven years, but it was a quick seven years since uh, starting this uh, podcast in my basement in Colorado. Uh, I'm now recording this upstairs where the sun shines, so we've definitely moved up in the world <laughs> in the last seven years. Uh, so uh, humbly, humbly thank all of you for listening and supporting us, whether that's on Patreon, whether that's following us, whether that's just giving us com uh, uh, you know feedback and comments and so on. And also thank you to Borussia Dortmund as a club for being supportive over the years. And uh, Stefan, of course, thank you for doing the biggest bulk of the work over the last year so uh it's been an absolute joy and i look forward to the next 300 episodes of the yellow wall uh, and i will let you say goodbye to people then goodbye <laughs> no honestly i i also appreciate everyone out there sharing this episode and uh, of course we do need sponsors so if you want to have a shout out to your fan club or whatnot um go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall and uh, then you can see the uh, tier where you can sponsor an episode. I think it's 10 bucks, and uh, that obviously helps. And if you want to subscribe to our written content, which is uh, mostly behind the yellow paywall, then uh, it will cost you $1 a month, which I hope you all can afford, which uh, then goes mostly to my healthcare. Um, but I think that's justified since I do, as you just said, do the uh, bulk of the work so um again everyone who's already contributing thank you very much it uh, helps me a lot to get ahead in life so um you know moving to america was a dangerous dangerous decision as we all know so um yeah thank you for that and uh, we shall be back on thursday or early friday depending from where you're listening with the Bayern preview. And of course, uh, we will have, I think, loads to discuss from that intergame. So I'm looking forward to that 301st episode already. And with that, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>